Watching the Democrats and the leftist media try to figure out how Donald Trump won in 2016 is kind of like that scene from Zoolander where they're holding the computer and they're told the files are in the computer. So they break the computer open trying to get the files out, but it was, it was digital, right? So the point I'm trying to make is they can see kind of what's happening, but they still don't get it. They understand the power of meme warfare and how the right uses social media more effectively, but they still don't get it. Right now, they're desperate to figure out how to beat Donald Trump. And unfortunately, they've chased after this progressive outrage on Twitter, which has made them all unlikable. They're proposing far left policies that most Americans don't want to get behind. But in response, the New York Times has penned a series of opinion pieces or or commissioned a series of opinion pieces to discuss the strategy towards defeating Donald Trump. In this piece, we can see 2020 meme team assemble. Donald Trump and his allies understand the power of content creation and shamelessness. The Democrats are still catching up. I'm impressed. They've finally taken note of the power of memes. Now, the left has never been particularly good at memeing for one simple reason. Woke outrage is terrifying. On the right, they're making jokes. They're laughing. They're not firing each other. They're not canceling each other. They do sometimes, sure. But for the most part, you make a meme, you have a laugh, you move on. On the left, you step out of line. They'll get rid of you. It now seems that meme war has been declared on Donald Trump, at least by Elizabeth Warren, who, who I don't know who's behind it or whatever, but they announced the Warren meme team. And the goal is to utilize social media because they know that Donald Trump has the advantage. Unfortunately, as we can see in this opinion piece, and I will show you in a second, they haven't learned anything. I should say they've learned they got to use memes, but they still don't understand the problem with cancel culture and woke far left bullying. In this piece, they actually advocate for more of this. So here's what I'll do today. Let's take a look at what's happening with the Warren meme team. Let's take a look at their arsenal of memes that they're preparing to use against Donald Trump. And then I want to show you why it's a terrible idea. Before we get started, head over to TimCast.com slash done it if you'd like to support my work. There are multiple ways you can give, but the best thing you can do is share this video. I'm competing with all these big media companies, and the past month or so, throttling has gotten more rampant. I thought I was, out of, I was in the clear. Turns out I'm not. We just saw a big expose showing that all of this content is being throttled. So if you like what I do, want to help me continue doing it and expand, hire more people, please consider sharing this video. It's the most powerful thing you can do. Let's read. Charlie Warzel writes, a long time ago on a different internet where photoshopped images of God Emperor Donald Trump riding atop a velociraptor were just a faint glimmer in a young meme lord's eye. The Republicans were in trouble. Barack Obama's 2008 win over John McCain was heralded as a digital over an analog. In 2012, Mitt Romney's technological secret weapon to track voters in real time crashed on election day. A 2012 profile of Mr. Obama's digital team in the Atlantic exclaimed that the nerds shook up an ossifying democratic tech structure. By 2014, the conventional wisdom was that progressives had lapped the Republican Party in the tech space. I heard rumors swirling that some of the Republican National Committee staff were scouring Silicon Valley churches for tech company hoodies looking for programmers to hire. They say two years later, the narrative flipped completely. Donald Trump's 2016 victory was quickly cast as a digital triumph. The campaign successfully harnessed its candidates' divisive populist rhetoric to plaster Facebook with ads. The ads worked in large part because of their incendiary messages. Stop. Wrong. But we'll read on. Mr. Trump's grassroots support online came from a legion of posters, message boards, communities, 
and Twitter pundits who flooded the internet with memes, toxic trolling, and hyperpartisan pages glorifying the candidate and vilifying his opponents. Democrats were flummoxed. I'll tell you my perspective. You see, I've been involved in the internet for a long time, whatever that means. I built my first computer when I was a little kid. I was like eight or nine years old. My family had CompuServe on DOS, I'm pretty sure, if you, if you understand what that means. So I grew up on these internet forums. I grew up watching all of these things you know, happening around me. In the early 2010s, I was watching the, the, the wave of Anonymous in the hacker community. I had friends who were hackers. And guess what? They made jokes. They were offensive. Today, it's a, a really weird thing happened. I mean, the culture war has split groups down lines that we didn't think existed before. But what we're seeing now is the anti-establishment type people. There's many of them who make memes simply because they wanted Trump to burn it all down. A lot of people really, really just did like Trump. But a lot of people really hate PC culture. They want to be able to post a meme online, make a joke without fear of losing their job. So naturally, many of these people wanting to laugh and have a good time started playing with memes. I mean, look at Hong Kong, okay? The people, they use Pepe over there at those protests because it's about freedom. So here's what you get. On the left, if you step out of line, you're done. They'll take your job. They'll take your career. And they will salt the earth to make sure you never work again. I mean, take a look at what's going on with Deadspin. For those that aren't familiar, Deadspin is a woke leftist sports website. Everybody resigned when they were mandated to just stick to sports. Well, this guy, this poor guy, I feel bad for him. He seems like a nice dude. He got hired. Apparently, he didn't know. He had no idea what was going on. All the, all the writers quit, so the Deadspin owners hire him. He got mobbed hard on social media. This shows us two things. One, this woke outrage will make sure to salt the earth that is Deadspin, to make sure no one ever works there again and the company stays dead because it's my way or the highway, they say. But they'll also make sure to tell you, if you are ignorant and have no idea and take a job, they will come for you too. Who wants to live this way? Well, I tell you what, think about the moral indignation that was Deadspin writers salting the earth to make sure the company dies. And now I bring you back to the opinion piece, where at the end, they make a very, very hilarious and incorrect assessment. They say, Republicans don't need to have a monopoly on outrage. Rather than the Trump variety of outrage and fear of the other, the correct blend of righteous progressive outrage on climate, inequality, and corruption could compete with the virality of the MAGA message. Outrage, indignation, and alarmism, sentiments proven to win online, can be harnessed by Democrats, provided they choose the right candidate. Whether Democrats can compete with their integrity intact is unclear. But what is clear is that in 2019, one of the few ways to political power is to never, ever stop making content. First, that last point he made, spot on. Those who make the most content are going to have the biggest arsenal. It's the information war. It's an attention economy. But he is dead, dead wrong. If you think the path to victory for the left is moral indignation, outrage, and alarmism, nobody likes it. This guy quit. Nobody wants to live under a boot. What happens on the right? You make a meme. It's a bad meme. What happens? Nobody shares it. It's about it. You make an offensive meme? Well, the left will try to cancel you. But guess what? The right's not going to cancel you. Someone, someone mentioned you know, to me, like, but Tim, the right cancels people all the time. Full stop. When has the right threatened my life? Come to, uh, you know, uh, uh, come to an event, physically threatened me, attacked my friends, screamed nonsense. Unfortunately for the left, that 
didn't happen. So no, you're wrong. I can say something like, I don't like Donald Trump. I think he's a crass, boorish old man who makes offensive things. And he has poor, in in terms of character and, and confidence building, poor leadership skills. Guess what? The worst I get is, Tim, I think you're wrong. I disagree with you on that one. And, that, and, and, and it's boring. But so, so I understand it's not the most offensive thing I could say. I've called Trump racist in the past, and I still have never had anyone try to get my YouTube channel deleted. And so I'm like, great. I can sit down with a Trump supporter and say, come on, man, don't you think about X? And we'll talk about it. And I disagree with them. And they certainly do have their cancel culture on that side. I mean, look at the, the James Gunn thing with Gardens of the Galaxy. It's just much, much less common. And I got to be honest, I have no fear. I have absolutely no fear that a mob of right-wingers is going to show up to my house and try and make sure I can never work again. It's just not going to happen. I've gotten some right-wingers angry before, and they've tweeted mean things to me. And they tweet me, and oh, 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 I'm sorry. I got mean things tweeted at me. What does the left do? I put on an event in my area, and they waited to the very last minute, threatened, uh, essentially, I want to be careful about this, threatened, there was a threat potentially to burn down a theater. They were, they were calling people, smearing everybody. It was nightmarish. They had to send the police down to our event. They stood across the street from us screaming. Just the other day, on Halloween, a group of individuals went to Andy, journalist Andy No's house wearing masks of his face. Okay? So I get it, man. Are there creepy fringe weirdos on both sides? Of course. But what about the left? <laughs> they don't understand is that this moral indignation is scary and nobody likes it and you're actively pushing people away. I'm sorry, it just isn't going to work. You can absolutely counter the MAGA message with memes, but you have to make them fun and funny, and you can't cancel people. But therein lies the big problem. Take a look at what happens with Dave Chappelle. Dave Chappelle is a critically acclaimed comedy special that everybody loves. Not just conservatives. Dave Chappelle is not a conservative. He was partially critical of Trump in the special features. But Trump supporters didn't try to get, get him removed. They have, okay, Trump supporters have been outraged in the past. Their cancel culture exists far and wide. But for the most part, people on the right and Trump supporters know that you can make a meme, have a laugh, and that's the end of it. On the left, it is so difficult to get these interviews because they know if they step out of line, they will get canceled. So let's do this. I want to show you the Warren meme team. They say why. The most important political battlefield today is social media. The right currently enjoys an asymmetric advantage. We're fighting back by raising our content creation and distribution game. Warren media team organizes writer, artist, and marketer volunteers to help Senator Warren's supporters spread her message. Participation turns a campaign into a movement. We participate by helping even more people participate. And so they have a Google Doc where you can look at their plan and their breakdown and all of these things. And And I'll tell you this. It's very clever. I think they've learned something important. You need to be fun and funny. They just don't have it anymore. It's, it's generic, stodgy, and boring. It's, there's no risk involved. You know, you, you, you can be funny in family-friendly ways, but part of the thrill of engaging in a political campaign in this way with memes is the risk. Did you push the line too far? How edgy can you make your meme? How edgy are you? Take a look at Vice, Vice Media. Man, they were so edgy, and they gave it all up. But it was popular, and it was popular not among bigots. Ricky Gervais is not a conservative, but he has no problem pushing the limits and being offensive. And that is an advantage the left will never have, because they don't, they don't make offensive content. They get offended. And so you run the risk of, on your own side, getting, well, as Obama put it, circular firing squad. So I appreciate that the Warren Mean team can recognize this. They say, 
In 2004, micro-targeting helped Bush. In 2008, online organizing helped Obama. 2012, data science helped Obama. And 2016, social media helps Trump. They get it. The problem is the culture on the left, period. I, 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 sh- I tell you, they're saying out- outrage, indignation, and, and alarmism. Sentiments proven to when they say progressive outrage on climate inequality and corruption. Okay, let's take a look at what the, uh, the actual data says about this. Because a year ago, we saw this reporting. Is this, uh, where's the, Americans strongly dislike PC culture. Youth isn't a good proxy for support of political correctness, and race isn't either. It is bad advice the New York Times is giving. So let's, so let's do this. Okay, if, if War, Warren's not going to be offensive, right? What can they produce? Well, let's pop open their first plan. So far, is that it? They haven't done much. I'm not going to pretend like we're going to see what they have. But a week ago, they posted this. Warren has memes for that. Apparently, she doesn't. What is this? You can do a lot with two cents. It's literally just an image. Facebook auto-generates these things. They're not memes, okay? Memes would be like what the Daily Wire did. The Daily Wire is Ben Shapiro's outlet. They made a photo of Trump giving the Medal of Honor to a dog, to the dog in the, in the, in the, um, the Conan, I think his name is. I could be wrong. And New York Times fact checks it. So they made a meme, a common meme showing a clip of all of these different shows where they're like, enhance, enhance, when they're looking at a photograph. And then finally, you see the image come, in, come in, uh, into picture. And then all of a sudden you hear the other meme. We got them. And it shows the police breaking down the door and falling through the roof. Those are memes. Those are jokes. People relate to them. We understand what that is. This is just a photo somebody made because they have to be safe. Is police storming into someone's house, which is a meme, offensive? You bet it is. Marginalized communities have been traumatized by police kicking down doors. What about showing all of these old, old shows? Well, these old shows were predominantly cast with white people and the technology. You see, you see the point? So they play it safe. They make something that is not funny or fun at all. I, I'm going to be fair, okay? It, they have no followers. They haven't started yet. But I'd be willing to bet strongly their meme attempt is going to fail. Let me show you something, okay? Barack Obama recently came out and said, stop. Stop with the woke outrage. But the New York Times is saying they need to embrace it. Really? Take a look at this. Writers bash Obama for criticizing woke social justice warriors. They basically go on to say it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a bygone time. Obama doesn't understand. How dare he point the finger at these young kids who are fighting for change? No, you don't get it. They're bullies and they're fighting for nothing. And nobody wants to live like that. But now it gets even better. Let me tell you. Look at this. I pulled up YouGov data. Barack Obama is mostly popular among millennials. So I tell you what, when Obama says chill and he's got 66% positive opinion for millennials, why are you telling him he's wrong? So, so let, me, let me tell you what the message is right now. Okay. Barack Obama, widely popular among millennials. He says, chill out. Circular firing squads are bad. Stop, the left needs to stop attacking each other. You're never going to pass these purity tests. They still resist. Now you've got Bill Maher. Bill Maher, in my opinion, is more of an older liberal type. And he gets dragged by the left. Bill Maher's show has gone completely off the rails. Why? Because he had on Dennis Prager and some doctor. And they say he was defending anti-vaxxer and right-wing propaganda. Hey, maybe it's about time for some self-reflection, but they don't learn. What does the New York Times writer Charlie Warzel say? We need more progressive outrage and indignation. <laughs> You're losing Obama, dude. You, you've lost Bill Maher a long time ago. You're losing Obama. It doesn't work. This is not what you need to do. I can appreciate they've learned a simple lesson about meme warfare. It just won't happen. 
their memes are going to be inoffensive, silly, and make no sense. I mean, silly is not always that bad, but silly in the sense where you're going to be like, I don't know what that's supposed to be. Who are you making a meme for? I'll give you, you know, one example I often talk about is, actually, no, I'll, I'll cite, uh, you, you guys know who Zuby is? He's a, he's a rapper. He's, uh, he, I don't want to call him a conservative. I think he's more libertarian, but I don't, I don't really know. He's about freedom. He's from the UK. And he recently uh, said on Twitter that the reason he doesn't do more appearances on left-wing shows is that they don't invite him. That's really simple. It's an easy way to put it. Why is it that, why is it that CNN is an echo chamber for the most, well, actually, I did that back. That's wrong. That's not true. They, they recently hired some very pro-Trump people on this one, some internal, ter- uh, internal turmoil. So I can respect that they've done that. But when it comes to CNN, the media people like Oliver Darcy and Brian Stelter, they never bring on principled opposition and facts. They just say things like conservatives are lying about all of these things and there's no evidence and they never bring anybody on to be like, here's the evidence I can show you. They don't. They just publish newsletters where they're like conservatives have no evidence of bias when there's copious amounts like Gizmodo reporting that Facebook because of their staffers bias was suppressing news. Jack Dorsey himself saying we are too aggressive policing a meme that was being predominantly used by the right. And you also have Jack Dorsey acknowledging there's too many liberals at his company. Conservatives are, are scared to speak up. Those are just three off, top, three off the top of my head. And they're not the only ones, okay? We have stories about, I think, Ronald McDaniel getting shadow banned from auto search on Twitter. It was an accident, they say. Yeah, well, they just had another accident where another conservative got, got suspended. And Twitter said, oops, the point is there is ample evidence, but they never bring people on to counter this. And the reason for it, in my opinion, is they have to play it safe. If they bring on the wrong kind of person, the left will come for them. And you know what? They're on the left. They have no choice but to bend the knee. People like me, where my politics are, are pretty left, I bow to nobody. I just don't care. I, I'm not a big fan of Donald Trump. I say I'm not a big fan because he, gets, he deserves credit for the things he's done that, that have been well. I have no problem saying that. I don't got to like the guy to recognize the economy is doing really, really well. Good for, good for you. They don't like the Saudi Arabia stuff. The serious stuff's become questionable. There are real principled things to, to criticize him for. So I'm not a big fan. No, it's not, it's, it's, it is what it is. But I'll tell you what. I'll say what I want, and I will criticize the, the horde, the tribe of, of people who want you to bend the knee to their outrage. It won't work. People, you know, look, I'm willing to stand up because I just don't care. But I assure you there are a lot of people who are leftist, who, believe, who, who really do want, even Elizabeth Warren, who are scared to speak up about this. And so they don't. When Obama does, you know that change is happening. When Bill Maher finally brings on Dennis Prager, I mean, he brought on Milo Yiannopoulos before, so we can see it happening, Okay. The woke outrage isn't working. They need to learn their lesson. And Barack Obama is the first step towards purging these bullies and the insanity. But, but, but heavens, New York Times, telling people to do more of it? To me, that is just plum nuts. I, I, I will end with, um, with one last final thought. So let me, let me go back to the Warren meme team. Again, I want to make sure I give respect to the Warren meme team insofar as they've, they've identified a serious issue. The right does dominate memes. It's not just the right, though. A lot of people who didn't used to be Trump supporters and probably still don't consider themselves conservative but support Trump, they're doing it because of political correctness reasons. And I'd be willing to bet a lot of the meme warriors, especially over at like r slash the Donald, which makes a ton of these memes, aren't Republicans and, or, and probably weren't. They're just tired of being told to stop laughing. They're tired of being told, it's not funny, don't say that. They're tired of bullies coming up and, with, with their snooty elitism, telling them what they can or can't do. And there's the big difference. We have the right producing memes that can be offensive, but too bad. It's funny. 
and you have the left presenting a snooty elitism. How dare you? Well, nobody wants to be on that side. It's boring. It's scary and unfun. Why would I want to live that way? A lot of people don't. A lot of people just want to make jokes. And when the jokes do well on the right for Trump, other people see the laughter. They see the success and they say, ooh, I want to play too. And then they're welcomed in with their open arms like, hey, come on, man, make some memes. Come join us. Just give it a shot. Make a meme. It'll be funny. And they'll make something offensive and they'll, they'll laugh and be like, whoa, dude, too, too soon. That, that, that just happened or that was over the line. Some people have made such offensive memes. They actually have been canceled. And the right's been like, dude, stop, you know, get out of here. That's crazy. Like really offensive stuff, ideologically over the line. But for the most part, you make a silly Trump meme and people are going to laugh about it. What about the left? I was in Berkeley and some woman started talking on my camera and I asked her some questions and then she immediately panicked. I was like, please, please don't use that. I'm like, dude, you're talking to me while I'm filming in public. I'm going to use it. But I've reached out. I always try to reach out to the left first for comments and they don't do it for one simple reason. The left wants ideological purity. And when Barack Obama says, we got to chill out on this, they attack him for it. I'm sorry, dude, you're not going to beat Obama. He's widely popular. So let me end by saying this. They've, they've, they've finally started talking about meme warfare. I am being a bit silly, by the way. I hope you realize that. The meme team must assemble. And it is smart of Warren's team to start putting together this meme plan. It's not going to work. The culture on the left is they've lost their visionaries. They've lost the artists. They've lost the people who really challenge and push the, push the boundaries. You've lost Obama, one of the most popular figures the left had. You're losing, you've lost Dave Chappelle. Dave Chappelle straight up saying, yada, 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 whatever I'm supposed to say. He's like, just get out of here. Ricky Gervais, you lost him. Joe Rogan, still, these people are all politically on the left, but they are not in line with what you want to do. They have no problem making offensive jokes. They understand the point is not to hurt people. It's just, you're, 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 you're trying to be funny. You're pushing the line to see, just to see what society tolerates. In ter- that's not the only reason. It's about making astute points and, cri- and being critical. And sometimes you might be critical of somebody in a way that's offensive. It doesn't mean they're trying to hurt you, but the left doesn't tolerate that. So they've criticized Chappelle. They've criticized Gervais. They criticize Bill Maher. They criticize Obama. Enough. We're done. If you can make memes that are funny and fun, but you want regular people to make them, you run the risk of those people being canceled for being offensive. Sorry. That's, that's, that's what's going to happen. I'll leave it there. Let me know what you think. Will the, will the left actually pull through with real meme warfare? Will they succeed? No, I don't think so. Um, there was a study that shows that r slash the Donald is one of the, if not the most prolific meme generator on the internet. I don't think you're going to win. They recognize it's asymmetrical right now. But you can joke about meme magic and meme war and all that. But seriously, sharing ideas, just, just the mass sharing of ideas, is going to get you the attention you need to win. If Warren can't articulate her plan, and Trump's plan has been articulated a million times in various memes, people are going to be like, I don't even know what Warren's doing, even though she has all these plans. You see, here's the thing. Let me end with this. Warren has, she's the plan, right? She has all these plans she publishes. Dude, she put out a plan about healthcare, and I'm like reading through it like this is terrible and boring. The Trump supporters put out a meme and it's Trump riding a velociraptor with, you know, holding an American flag as he's, as he's like jumping over a barricade and there's like explosions in the background. And it's like that emotion, that feeling of victory and America and unity and community is going to do, it's, it's going to do profoundly better than some long winded speech about $52 trillion Medicare. I'm sorry. You're playing the wrong game. They want to get in the memes. Warren has, Warren has memes for that, does she? I think I don't, I, I, (laughs) it's not going to work. I'll leave it there. 
I'll see you all in the next segment at youtube.com slash timcastnews starting at 6 p.m. Thanks for hanging out. I'll, I'll see you next time. Play stupid games, win stupid prizes. The anti-fascist dude who clubbed some guy over the head just got nearly six years in prison. Now, there's something really important about Antifa going to prison that needs to be talked about. We'll read the story. I've got some of the, the context uh, uh, of what actually happened. This goes back to that, uh, that, that brawl in Portland where there was an old guy who got you know, clubbed over the head several times. Then video came out later showing he was actually clubbing before that. It's complicated. But here's the thing. Prisons have gangs. Many prisons have race-based gangs. When the dude in Berkeley, the bike lock basher, was about to be sentenced to prison, there was real concern because he has the, the, uh, the, the strike through, the Antifa three arrows on his arm or chest or something. And everybody was saying, what do you think is going to happen when a white dude goes to prison and he's one of these, you know, liberals who hates white people and believes in all this white privilege stuff and he's confronted with the other race-based gangs not, you know, they're not going to support him at all. And the white supremacist gangs being like, <laughs> you, you, you can't come here, right? So you run the risk of essentially being by yourself. Now, I think that's a bit stereotypical. I've talked to some people who have been in prison. They said no one really cares. It's kind of chill. But that is a consideration, particularly in the Pacific Northwest, because my understanding is that there is a particularly dense white supremacist uh, um, like factions up there. It's, it's, a, it's a weird place. I got to admit, you know, when I was in Portland, there was, there's very few, there's very few normies, right? As, as, as the internet would call them like regular, un, I call them the uninitiated people who are not focused on politics, which is the overwhelming majority of people. But I walk around like my town and nobody talks politics. Nobody knows much about anything. They're like, I don't know what that is. But in Portland, Portland was nuts. I went to a burger joint. Someone was like, hey, I know you. Hey, you know, and people were all tuned into what was going on. And it may be because of the street fights. They pay attention to the news. But for some reason, there were a ton of people in Portland who were like, I would, I would call them like moderate centrist types, like fans of the intellectual dark web who knew I was. It was really cool. But there's supposedly a bunch of white supremacists. And there's a, and as we know, there's a ridiculous amount of Antifa. So I have to wonder if you know, these young people have not had a, had a prison experience. I can only wonder if the stereotypes will hold true. They go to prison. What's going to happen to them? Because everyone's going to know what they're in for. Oh, you're a guy who, you know, who hates white people or something like that. Let's read the story. Before we get started, make sure you go to timcast.com slash donate if you would like to support my work. There's a PayPal option, crypto option, physical address. But of course, as you know, share this video. Uh, it's highly likely going to be deranked. There's, there's been some really bad throttling over the past few months. It comes and goes in waves. Nothing I can do about it. But if you share this video, it really does help you know, me grow and continue doing what I do. YouTube will try and suppress my content. So that means people who are subscribed to my content will no longer see it. And the, and the, the hope is out of sight, out of mind. But if you're watching this, share this, they can't do anything about that. So it counteracts the censorship measures and the throttling and the deranking and the control that YouTube tries to place over content. We'll see what happens. I can only imagine eventually they'll just delete my channel, but I don't break any rules. It's not like that stopped them before. They delete channels without breaking rules. Let's read. From Oregon Live. A 24-year-old man who hit another man over the head with a baton in June during dueling downtown uh, Portland demonstrations was sentenced Friday to nearly six years in prison. There's your stupid prize, buddy. Gage, Gage Holopowski pleaded guilty to second-degree assault in connection with the June 29 attack on Adam Kelly outside the Nines Hotel along Southwest Morrison Street. 
Halapowski was identified as one of several masked black clothed demonstrators seen on video hitting and pepper spraying Kelly after he appeared to come to the aid of another man who'd been attacked during the protest. Authorities said he was wearing a mask. He was, he was in black block. He was full on Antifa. They still found him. Apparently somebody pointed him out. And what, what, what a lot of people don't seem to realize, these young people, I feel really bad for these kids, man. I, I, I got to admit, there are a lot of really bad actors in, in Antifa. There, uh, and I'll make sure I'm, I, I clarify for those, you know, who get angry about this on the left. There is a lot of not black block Antifa and they call themselves that. But I'm sorry, man, if you're not going to call this out, if you're not going to say stop clubbing people over the head, well, then you're the same as the rest of them. Then you just have a militant wing who's, who's doing this for you. They always say like Antifa just means anti-fascist. Okay, I don't care what you think it means, right? If you have people flying your flag and being violent, they are operating with you, okay? So, so you got to call them out. But the point is that this guy and these anti-fascists think they can go out wearing all black and it will protect them. Listen, you're the only one wearing that particular scarf. You're the only one wearing that particular hoodie and those particular boots. Just because you're wearing all black doesn't mean you cannot be identified. It helps. I get it. It does. But what happened here, someone pointed to him. They said, that's the boots. That's the pants. That's the shirt. We know who he is. And then the cops went and arrested him. Congratulations. Six years in prison, buddy. But I was going to say, that's why I feel bad for some of these kids. They're told to show up wearing these things. And then they, man, it's, 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 it's like a finger snap. I tell you, I tell you what, man, I've been to these protests and you will get some dumb college kid who knows very little about anything manipulated by these activist groups. I'm not exaggerating. They, they tell you, come out, wear black. And these kids are like, what is that for? And they say it's to show solidarity. That's the lie to show solidarity. I mean, it's technically true. So you can see this big black mass of people, but it's really so that you can protect and shield those who will break the law. And then guess what happens? A lot of these young people who are really dumb do something stupid. See, once the mob mentality breaks out and a fight breaks out, this guy, for instance, I don't know what his motivation was, but let's just say he's there. He brought a baton. We know what his intention was. Congratulations. Play stupid games, win super prizes. But what about these other people who just start fighting and punching and kicking? There's a video from uh, uh, Luke Rudkowski of We Are Changed. We are all in Hamburg, Germany during the G20. Luke was walking down the street. He's got a backpack and he's just filming. And someone yelled Nazi pig in German. Random people ran up and started punching him. That, that kind of mob mentality, that's what's driving a lot of this. And so these people are stupid and they're dangerous. But to, to, to a degree, when I say I feel bad, it's like, look, you go to prison. End of story, right? But, it, but, I, but I am like, think about how, how sad it must be to be some stupid kid playing, you know, Assassin's Creed in your bedroom. And then all of a sudden your friend's like, hey, you want to come to this protest? Wear a black hoodie. And you're like, all right. And then a fight breaks out. You don't know what's going on, but you're like, oh man, they're, they're Nazis. They told me that, you, 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 you know, these people are dumb. And you start fighting and then all of a sudden you get arrested and you're confused. What happened? I don't know. And just like that, they brought you down, they put you in the mob, the fight broke out, and they pushed you into the fight and said, do it, fight. Now you're in prison. Congratulations, your life is over like that. These kids are dumb. They're, they're, they're really dumb. You think this dude knows anything about politics? No. He, this guy, is, he's 24 years old. He has no idea what's going on. He's being told, oh, the Nazis are showing up. So he shows up with a baton, clubs a guy over the head after a fight breaks out, and now he's going away for six years. Just like that. Bro, you could have stayed home. You could have been playing World of Warcraft or whatever game you're playing. Call of Duty came out. They announced the new World of Warcraft, World of Warcraft expansion. That's why it's on the top of my mind. Instead, you went out for no reason to do nothing, to change nothing, and clubbed the dude in a fight, and now you're going to go to prison for six years. 
They say Kelly, a right wing protester at the demonstrations, wrote on Facebook at the time that the blows to his head led to him suffering a concussion and needing 25 staples to close the wound. Now, I do want to make sure we point this out. The previous story, they, they uh, link to a video. Do I have that video pulled up? I don't think I have the video pulled up. Let me see if I can find it. They say that uh, this guy, Kelly, is seen. Here we go. You can see this guy actually go up to Antifa with a club. So let's not act like everybody's innocent here. That's not the point. So there's Kelly going up to an Antifa guy, right? There may have been a fight already, but listen, disengage. I'm not gonna, I can't tell the context. And I really, really hate short clips because you have no idea what happened. For all I know, that guy in the black kicked him and then jumped back. And then he swung back himself and, you know, to defend himself as, as like a fight had started. He didn't start. I'm not going to play that game though. All we see in the clip is the guy moves forward with a baton. End of story. There's other videos of them walking around with a baton. Play, play stupid games, win stupid prizes. You got clubbed over the head and you got a concussion. There's your stupid prize. At least you're not going to prison though. That's a thing. So in this particular instance, you, there, 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 man, there's so much here. There was another big protest in New York. I don't, I, I think I'll save this for the next video because there's a lot to talk about in regards to Antifa and all this stuff. But um, they're, they're now arguing this dude doesn't deserve 70 months, uh, 70 months in prison. Think about it, 70 months. Check this out. They say Multnomah County Deputy District Attorney Melissa Marrero said Holopowski hitting Kelly in the back of the head with an expandable baton was completely unexplainable, completely avoidable, and didn't need to happen. She said Kelly and Holopowski both were lucky that Kelly survived his injuries. And there it is, man. That's basically attempted murder. These kids don't get it. They are stupid, brainwashed. They're, they're just stupid and brainwashed. It's, it's mind-blowing to me. The, 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 the problems I have is, I, you know what? Let's just go for it. Let's go. We'll do a long video. Check it out. The left is dominated by morons. The right is dominated by people, in my opinion, that are slightly more analytical today. It, it, it's, I'm not saying it's always been this way because, you know, the, the left is going to be like, Tim starting with the conservatives. No, no, no. Today, you, you, you can tell by people like Dave Rubin and the intellectual dark web that the left is no longer the analytical side. They're, irrat- they're, 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 they're reactionary. I mean that both in the, in the colloquial sense, but also the historical context of trying to prevent change. They're, they're racist, bigoted, short-sighted, and uh, uh, they, they overreact and they're over-emotional. They, they're, they're now ruining actual, like, real left-wing policy ideas. The right, however, has a more individualistic, more, more decently thought out, but not, I don't think they, I think, I think the right is too, uh, too individualistic, I guess. What ends up happening is the collective has gone nuts. The right rejects it. And they're, in my opinion, you know, based on everything I've looked at, there's gotta be, there's a reason why I'm center left. And there's a reason why I don't like the, the current iteration of the left. They talk about like taxing all the billionaires. And that literally makes no sense. Because the economy isn't based upon who has green. The, technically, it is. I understand that point. But you, you dig deeper. The economy is based upon the value of labor, time, and access to resources. It is so much more complicated than just thinking you can tax the rich. Like, oh, I'll tax this rich guy and take all his money, and that will pay for things. No, it's called inflation. The value of time doesn't change no matter what. Minimum wages don't change this, and, and taxing all the rich doesn't change this. Things will normalize. You can take all of Elon Musk's money. And you can build a community center. But then regardless, that money goes into the community. It spreads around. You know what you need to do? And I, and I really do mean this. Take a look. I, I, think, I think scientists really should do something fascinating. Uh, sh- should look at World of Warcraft and how their gold economy works because it is incredible. 
And I know you might be saying, oh, that's silly, Tim. And I know some people are saying, World of Warcraft, you filthy casual and things like that. If you're not familiar with World of Warcraft, it is a uh, multi... You got, you got to know what it is, right? It's this big online multiplayer game. When you play the game, various tasks earn you currency, copper, silver, and gold. Before, uh, in the past, like when the game first came out, there was uh, amazing economic things at play. You know, like you, you could look at the auction house, you could see the, the, uh, the changing of prices based on the availability of resources, how that affects low level characters versus high level characters. And now in today's version, you can, uh, you can essentially buy gold. It, it's, it's a complicated process, but you can, you can pay. And because of this, the economy is just broken. In my opinion, it's completely broken. Prices make no sense. Some people just randomly put ridiculous prices because anybody can just pay 20 bucks, get a bunch of gold. So now they just buy whatever they want. And the price of everything has become insane. Like it just makes no sense. So the reason I bring this up is to tie it back into this Antifa stuff. This dude believes insane nonsense. Going out and clubbing people and fighting for a world that can't exist, doesn't exist. It literally makes no sense. There is a system in place. There are people with families. There are people who believe different things than you. You are not right. You don't know everything. Let's just be real about it. Is there injustice in the world? You bet. You bet there is. Are there dirty cops? Oh, there sure are a lot of them. And we need to do what we can to get rid of them. But guess what? You're standing on the shoulders of giants. We have built this system over thousands of years. We have figured out the best way so far to preserve individual liberties, the pursuit of happiness, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and hold people accountable. And it is better that 10 guilty persons escape than one innocent person suffer. And it makes for a very complicated problem. They say, who watches the watchman? So these people are, are, are out protesting their fellow citizens, not the government. And it's the, one of the weirdest things I've experienced because they have a fundamental misunderstanding of how the world actually works and what's possible. And I blame, I, I, look, I blame the past generations. It's, 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 it's that simple. I don't want to just say boomers. Gen Xers are responsible to an extent. Um, boomers, greatest, everybody is. You can see, you can see how uh, we've moved in this direction. Laziness, uh, just uh, uh, people confuse discipline with uh, like you can be strict and you can be empathetic. You can teach your kid. Don't put on a black mask and club someone to the head. You can teach your kid critical thinking, situational awareness. You need to make sure. Okay. When you have kids, assuming you do look at this guy who's 25, was going to prison now for six years. His life's over. Okay. Here's the thing that people need to understand about prison and why I really, really disagree with a lot of this. I, I do not like the prison system. Six years is the wrong is the wrong way to solve this problem. Rehabilitation. That's what we need. This dude needs to be taken, not put into uh, a prison. He needs to be put in in some kind of situation where he can work, become normalized, and break out of this psychotic brainwashing from fringe media and activist groups who have done this to him. You know, you've got people, there are different reasons people commit crimes. So I think you can't just have this one-size-fits-all, lock them up in a cage, and there you go, and then they're gone. In the short term, yeah, it solves a problem. That guy's no longer on the street. He's not going to be clubbing people. I get it. In the long term, what's going to happen, though? Dude's going to get out, and he's going to be all screwed up. Six years from now, technology is going to be different. I read this thread once that was asking uh, prison uh, people who went to prison what was the most shocking thing. One guy wrote how he went to prison just before uh, smartphones, and when he got out, smartphones had, have, had advanced multiple generations, and he, had, he was shocked. Like, the world was so dramatically different. Before smartphones, people didn't have the internet literally everywhere they were. You got you to think about this. People don't realize this. I remember going to a skate park 
and I had a candy bar phone with like crappy internet and I'm trying to Google something. I'm like, eh, it's too hard. Ignored it. There was no internet. That's it. No Twitter, nothing. And so I was just skating. I had no idea what was going on in the world. After the advent of the smartphone or the ubiquity of it, all of a sudden now we're connected 24-7. Information spread is rampant. Everybody can film everything. And that was a dramatic change. This dude's not going to be better off for this. Now I get it. We can be emotionally satisfied that he's going to prison. We can laugh about it and be like, haha, good, you're getting locked up. It's not going to solve any problems. And it's not going to get to the underlying root of why this people is screwed up in the first, why, why this guy and these people are so screwed up in the first place. And it doesn't just go for Antifa, it goes for the fringe, far right, white supremacy, whatever. It's everybody who's lost their damn mind. They're, the regular people in this country are just that. Regular people, they want to work, provide for their family, and they do care. And they do want to figure out solutions. And they, do, they don't want the world to burn, okay? You've got these ideologues who think that, like, Republicans are all laughing, you know, swirling their scotch as the world burns, just like, ha, 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 And you've got people who think that Antifa are, well, no, actually, no, look, look. I think it's Jonathan Haidt's research that shows Republicans— Conservatives and moderates do understand the mentality of the left, but the left doesn't understand the mentality of the right. And that's a big problem. These people haven't been exposed to real life. They have no responsibility. And then they, they grow up in this weird world and not understanding what is and isn't. This dude would do well to be dropped in the middle of the woods and told, you're on your own. Now, obviously, I think that's a bit extreme. I, I'm not actually saying we should, we should do that to, to criminals and stuff. But, but think about one of the big problems that these young leftists have is they don't understand the concept of like energy in, energy out. And what, what, what I mean by that is they grew up in a society where everything is handed to them. Food is abundant. They're overweight. They, have, they, they want for nothing. The only thing left is utopia, things that can't be obtained. Because they've got their computers, they've got their laptops, they've got their smartphones. Everything is perfect. But it can't be perfect. Humans must always strive. So they become ideological. Then they, then they believe that there, there's evil in the world holding people back. No, man, America is basically the freest country on the planet. I mean, I, techni- technically there's freer places, but I mean, in terms of like not as bad crime in a certain sense, opportunity, growth, wealth, America's doing pretty good, pretty good. So this dude, he could change the world very easily. He could go out and start, start building, start campaigning, start nonprofit, start actually advocating for change. He doesn't. He wants to go out with a club and bash someone over the head because, well, I blame his parents and the people who are around him. And so he needs to be stripped from that. And so people can show him how the world actually works. Here's what I tell people. If you took me, took all my clothes, took everything away from me, dropped me in the middle of the woods, that's zero, right? That's, that's, that's actually, that's not necessarily zero. That's like, on a scale of, of, of positive being you're in a good place and negative being in a bad place, you're actually at like a five. You're a little bit higher than bad. You know why? You're healthy. So you're in the woods. You got a lot to do. You got to find shelter. You got to find a water source, food. You got to cover up. So there's a lot of work you got to do. So you're in a pretty bad spot, but you're not negative. You're still healthy and intact. Now you just have to figure out how to connect, collect resources. But imagine, imagine life is like a video game and people in America like this dude, they, they pick easy mode. You're born in America. All of a sudden, it's like you're in a warm house with clean water, clean showers, no disease, no worms, no parasites. You go to the best schools. You get a good education. Everything is handed to you. So you have no idea what hardship really feels like. Try being homeless. Now, here's what I say. You put me in the middle of the woods, buck naked, hand me a pointy stick. Now we're talking. See, now I can start doing something. I can throw that stick at a rabbit, maybe eat that. Won't, won't last for, for a long time. But hey, rabbits, a little, you, know, you get some nutrients out of it. 
But now if you're naked in the middle of the woods and you're bleeding, now you're negative. Now things are bad. See, this person, here's what happens. These kids, these Antifa types, they grow up in a world where everything is so perfect. To them, they believe that their baseline, which is like the wealthiest person in the world, is neutral. And when they go below that, they panic. Everything's bad now. It's all relative, right? I was talking, let me, let me tell you this other story. I mean, we'll make this video a little longer. When I went to Brazil, I was talking to somebody in a favela and they asked me why the rich people were protesting in the United States. They were referring to, like, they were referring to Occupy Wall Street. And I laughed and I said, no, the Occupy Wall Street are like young people and poor people. And the, and the, and the mother is like this older lady. She laughed. She's like, <laughs> Americans are all rich. And I laughed because I saw how they lived in the favelas. And the, the, GDP, the, the GDP per capita is like $8,000 in, uh, uh, in Brazil. And so here you have these, these people in the U.S. who are like some of the rich, basically the richest people in the world where everything's always been handed to them, complaining. And that was, that was perspective for me. I certainly think we should always strive to do better. That's why things are so great here. We don't settle for less. But, let, let, you know, let me, I, I don't want to make this too long. I'll wrap up my thoughts on, on this story, right? Dude goes to prison. Congratulations. He thought life was so bad, but he had everything on a silver platter. It's everything was handed to this person, just like everybody else. Even if you are homeless in the United States, and I know this from experience, you are still wealthy. You know why? You can walk up to somebody and just say the word cheeseburger. Eventually, someone will buy you a cheeseburger. I kid you not. You go to New York City, stand there holding up a sign saying cheeseburger, please. And eventually someone will walk up and hand you one. It's incredible. And I I mean that literally. You look at all of the charity and all the work people do to protect each other, and sometimes it's a bit too much. But go go to a foreign country, hold up a sign saying cheeseburger, and they'll laugh at you saying, yeah, me too. I need a cheeseburger. What they don't realize is that they live in abundance and wealth, and they're angry because they want a utopia that doesn't exist. So where do you go when you're at the top? That's the challenge. For me, I think invention, research, development, technology, exploring the stars, building a spaceship, you know, figuring out new ways to make things better. Instead, they don't have that. They're not smart enough. Everything's already perfect. They have no disease to worry about for the most part. We've cured everything. We've vaccinated against most things. You got ER, you know, even though Medicare, medical costs are really high, we, we still have tremendous quality of care. So what next? You can literally in Portland get food from all over the world. You want Chinese food, Thai food. I I know it's Americanized, but you can get Whatever you want, just the snap of your fingers. You can talk to someone in China. What else do you do? That's where the ideology comes in. So he says, I have to do something. And they're now without purpose, replacing it by showing up and beating, bashing people over the head. This can't go on. But without purpose, without a common cause, this is what will happen. So they, they, they've created their common cause, right? They've created their cause, and it's to go and attack other Americans they don't like. We need something better than that. We need a space race. You know, we need a, we need a, na- we need a, a, a national or, or collective competition where everyone says success for us is X and it's not going around beating people we don't like. Imagine if this dude dedicated his life to reaching Mars instead of going around clubbing somebody. The amount of conviction and energy to show up wearing black, bashing people over the head. I got to admit, it's a decent amount. It is because a regular person says, leave me alone. I just want to eat a cheeseburger. So if you're willing to get up and go and do this, imagine if we could direct that energy towards something more positive. I blame the parents. And to an extent, it's, 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 it's going to get worse, right? Because this dude will be seen as a victim and they'll use it to recruit more and spread their disgusting and decaying ideology about getting violent against people in their own community. 
instead of saying, let's all build a community center together and help the homeless. Imagine if this dude, instead of going out with a club and bashing someone, said, I'm going to go work at a soup kitchen. It's that simple. Anyway, I'll, I'll, I'll wrap this one up. Next segment's coming up at 1 p.m. on this channel. I will see you all there. It seems almost obvious that if you announce we are going to reduce the risk for a criminal to commit a crime, you would see more crime, right? Well, that's exactly what's happening in California. See, California passed something called Prop 47. The idea was to free up police resources by making any, any kind of shoplifting or drug use under $950 in value, it would be a misdemeanor. Not only that, but selective enforcing means pe- selective enforcement means people know that no one's really going to pursue a small shoplifting incident anyway. Well, what some people thought was that if you reduce the risk and the penalty for the crime, you'll see more of it. But come on, let's be real. Who cares if someone steals a candy bar? It's an acceptable risk, and the police have to focus on bigger issues, right? Wrong. Well, apparently, what's ending, what's happened now is organized crime. People know that they can go in and steal multiple items just under 950, the cops won't do anything about it. So what they do is they go in, they steal $900 worth of merchandise, hand it to somebody, then wait and go back and do it again. Let me tell you something interesting, and we'll read this story. I knew a dude a long time ago, a criminal guy. He went to prison. He went to prison for what I'm about, what I'm about to explain to you, so don't do this. He explained how he stole credit card numbers, and he made sure everything he, uh, what he would do is, he wouldn't buy items. Say, say he wanted something big. He said what he learned was if he bought something for a couple grand, all of a sudden you're talking about grand larceny, this big felony. So what he would do is he would do cash advances just under the minimum of what would be a felony multiple times. So he would get charged with multiple misdemeanors. That's, at least that's what he said. I could be wrong about how it worked, but it was, that was a general idea that he did this. He got caught because <laughs> let's be real, dude, you get caught when you do this. Okay, paper trails. It was really dumb. He did it for a while, but here's the thing. He still got prison. They, they weren't playing this game, but that was at least what he thought was going to happen. To an extent, he was kind of right. He was only breaking laws that were misdemeanors, but still able to steal thousands of dollars. In the end, don't, don't think the judges are going to be like, well, you got us. No, they know exactly what's up. But in this instance, combine that with selective enforcement, and all of a sudden now, you get away with it. So I will first stress, do not commit crimes, please. That's the point of this video. I want to talk about how community and a scale of cities results in this problem that can't be solved. First, I am 100% for criminal justice reform to an extreme degree. I think the entire prison system, not just private prisons, all of it is terrible. It doesn't work. It works insofar as it's like, well, at least the criminal is gone for a few years, but they'll come back later. We need to figure out how to integrate people in society and make them part of a community. The problem is, however, that big cities are no longer communities. Think about New York City. You, you get on the train or any big city, you get on the train. Do you talk to anybody? Of course not. Your neighbors who live next to you. How many of you watching this who live in a city know who, who lives in the apartment, you know, upstairs to the, to, you know, and, to, and, and two units down? You probably don't. I lived in a building in New York. I had no idea who anybody in my building was. And that's kind of crazy when you consider that if there's a disaster or a fire, you're going to have to rely on these people. They're your neighbors. If you hear a scream or a loud noise, you got to know what to do and who's down there and what might have might have happened. Maybe it's an old lady. Maybe she fell. Maybe maybe it's a movie they're watching. You know, but people don't. There's no community anymore. We're breaking apart. I mean, take a look at that video about the women. It's that old viral video, a woman walking around in New York for 10 hours. 
they were actually criticizing several people because some of the catcalling was people being like, how's it going? Have a nice day. They were like, oh, how dare you say hello to me? There was creepy stuff in the video, like a dude walking next to her for a long time and people saying like, ooh, you know, girl and stuff like that. I, I, I get all that. But hello, have a nice day. That was, they were critical of that. We are pushing ourselves away. And I will tell you this, the more we fragment our communities, the more we will see this crime. Because here's the thing. This crime happens partly because these people don't care about any of the other people. They don't know who they are. They don't know what they're dealing with and they don't care. Now, there, there was a story recently about, they're called flash rob. A flash rob is when you run into a store and grab a bunch of stuff, run out. What they're saying in the story essentially is that as long as they steal less than 950 per attempt, they're good because the cops are not going to come out for it. So they, they, they organize this. I, I will admit though, you know, when I, when I saw the video of the, the Apple store getting robbed, like they would run in and grab a book and then run out. I'm like, first of all, that doesn't count here because those computers are worth more than 950. But also, man, I'm not super concerned about, like, look, crime is bad. You know, don't, don't steal stuff. But, um, there's a big difference between stealing from some dude who bought a computer and is struggling to get by and stealing from an Apple store. Let's be real. In the end, though, I think it's, it's all the same crime, right? I just have a little bit less sympathy for major corporations who exploit people and have these fringe ideologies and want to suppress rights and, and do these horrifying things overseas. So, you know, forgive me if I'm not going to cry over it. I still think it's wrong. OK, I, and I still think they should get in trouble the same, uh, to the same degree. But, um, you know, basically, actually, let me, let me read the story so I can give you the full details. And I want, I want to talk to you about the idea of how this plays into multiculturalism and, and what people get wrong about. Because I think everybody, everybody is speaking a different language. They talk about a dude who went and stole pants. We don't, you know, they, they mention everything I already did. They say this. Over in the city, uh, in the city by the bay's famous Tenderloin district, Cassie, a 21-year-old mother of two and a former heroin junkie, told Fox News that when times were tough, she too has stolen from stores. If my babies need diapers or formula, who is going to get that for me? No one. I have to do it. They ain't out here arresting people for shoplifting, and everyone knows it. Prop 47 is seen by critics as one of California's biggest blunders. Supported by the state Democratic Party and championed by the ACLU, the referendum was passed in a, by a wide margin in 2014. The idea behind it was to reduce certain nonviolent felonies to misdemeanors in order to free up resources for cops and prosecutors to focus on violent offenders. Now, here's the problem. They say, since it was passed, there have been an increase in theft across the state. Cities like San Francisco have, been, have seen organized crime rings turn shoplifting into a well-organized racket involving desperate thieves and unscrupulous black market sellers. Among the nation's 20 largest cities, SF now has the highest rate of property crime, which includes theft, shoplifting, and vandalism. But don't forget Antifa is in that property crime section too. So you got a lot of problems going on. Here's the thing. Let's talk about multiculturalism. And I, I want to explain to you why I think this is happening. It's not about the punishment. There are places, you know, uh, in my neighborhood right now where I live in the suburbs. If I left my wallet in the middle of the street, I'd be willing to bet one of the kids who finds it walking down the street would bring it to my house. Actually, well, they know who I am. They'd see it and they'd bring it to my house and then probably cross their fingers for a reward, which I would give them. What about New York City? Most people are going to open it up, pull the money out, throw it in a mailbox and walk away. Some people will, will do right, but, but ultimately there are cultural standards and there is a level of, do I care about you or not? In big cities, the answer is, a, it's pretty much a no, 
Okay, you find something. What do you want me to do about it? I don't know who you are. I find your wallet, man. I, I, I'm sorry, dude. It's, it's, good, it's, it's as good as gone. If it were me, okay, my ethics, my morality, if I found a wallet, I'd immediately contact, do my best to contact the, you know, the person whose ideas in it or drop it in a mailbox if I couldn't do that. Because most people don't know if you put it in a mailbox, they'll look at the, the address on the ID and send it there. So make sure you, get, you keep your license and IDs updated. But here's, here's where multiculturalism comes in. There's two different views of what's happening. On the right, they view multiculturalism as like you've got American culture and say like Islamic culture and they don't, they're not the same thing. They both disagree on how people should live, so they fight, right? So in like Islamic culture, there's rules about blasphemy. There's rules about women covering up. That can't work with American culture. On the left, they view multiculturalism, multiculturalism as existing underneath their culture. It's very culturally imperialistic. They think we have this, it's why they do the Latinx thing, right? Why white progressives say Latinx? Because they're imposing their culture on you and telling you, you can dress that way so long as you agree with our beliefs. That's their view, that you exist under the umbrella of Western culture. Although they're very critical of Western culture, ultimately, they want to be overarching. Like, if you agree with all of us, you're allowed to exist here, not side by side. Here's what happens. As cities get bigger and bigger and bigger, communities cannot, are not intertwined. Very few people in New York are going to be like, you and me are New Yorkers. We've got to protect each other. No, that's, that's not going to happen. It's going to be break, break, breaking down on political lines, on class lines, and yeah, on race lines. So uh, for me, like I got, when I got mugged once in Chicago, it was a dude from the south side of Chicago who, who lived right by me when I was on the north side, tried mugging me, not realizing we lived in the same neighborhood. So this dude from the south side goes to the north side to get the crime. That's what, that's what I think is going to happen. When they, when they make these laws a bit more lax, you reduce the risk. So naturally, you're going to increase the output. And the reason why the crime, in my opinion, is, 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 is not going to go down is because they don't care about you. You are not them. First of all, this, this one lady, she's got kids. Man, people will, go, people will do a lot of things for their kids, I, you know, even, even against their own community if it means their survival. But think about what happens now. You've got people who live in, say, like Oakland. You know, it's a, it's a bit poorer. They're going to go to SF and they're going to shoplift knowing they can't get in trouble. The cops won't, won't uh, invest. They're not going to do anything about it. They have no resources. Here's where, here's, where, here's where the scaling problem comes in. Make too many people, you know, put too many people in one area. There's not enough police to police everything. You will get more crime. It will require more money to, to, to pay for the police in the various areas. And eventually the scale just becomes untenable. I believe there's an upper limit, at least right now, based on our t- technology as to how big a city can really get before it just stops functioning properly. You go to New York, you go to Chicago, you go to LA, and there are just abandoned buildings everywhere. Neighborhoods just decrepit and falling apart because they've become too big. There's, you know, people will walk away instead of fixing it because it's easier. And, and, and the other thing too is, when you have like a small village, you know, a couple houses and a couple dozen people, well, you're, you're less likely to see complete disrepair because everyone is tied to, hey, this is our store. We need to figure out how to fix it up because we need these resources shipped in. Okay. But when you go to a big, big city, you'll see like a Walmart start losing business. Eventually people say, not my problem. And they walk away because there's no community anymore. So I, I think the big challenge is multiculturalism to me is, is a buzzword that means very little. What we need is community building and community ties. What I believe would reduce crime is people knowing who each other, who, who each other, you know, knowing each other. But ultimately, I don't think it can be done. We can only know so many people, right? I, I, I tell this story about how I once got pulled over. I wasn't speeding. I was actually exiting off of Lakeshore Drive in Chicago, but I got pulled over. 
And the cop walked up and said, hey, you know, I, you know, I pulled you over. And I said, uh, no, I'm you know, sorry, officer, I have no idea. And he said, you were speeding. And I was confused. And I said, I- I'm actually pulling over to the exit. Like, I-, I wasn't speeding. At no point was I speeding. Like, I was going the speed limit. And then by the time, uh, in the past few minutes, I actually slowed down below the speed limit of 45 because I was looking for my exit. And I didn't know where it was. I, I, this was uh, this was before uh, smartphones, actually. I think this was uh, just 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 a little bit before, it was like 2006, maybe. And so the cop looked at me and said, "Yep, sign here, tell it to a judge." And I was like, "Wait, what? Yep, sign here, tell it to a judge." I was like, "But I didn't do anything wrong. Why am I getting a ticket? Don't care." The cop said, "If you don't sign it, I'll arrest you," or something like that. And so I was like, "Whatever," and I signed it. And this created a whole mess of problems for me because I didn't know that. So eventually, I just paid the ticket off. Like, whatever, man. It's easier than going to court, missing work, and all that. And that got my license suspended because if you get two moving violations under twenty-one, they suspend your license. And I couldn't drive. It was a nightmare. The reason I tell you this story is because think about what happens in a small town, a functioning community. The sheriff knows who you are, and you get pulled over. And he gets angry and he says, what am I supposed to tell your dad? Okay, you're speeding down here now. I got to deal with this. If they know you, they're more willing to be like, I'm going to cut you some slack because you I know you don't want to make me angry and let me down because there will be ramifications within our community. As our communities grow, nobody cares. Think about it. If some dude goes to SF and steals your computer, does he care? No. Oh, you're mad at me. I don't know you, dude. So what? In a small town, you can get exiled, shunned, and it's very, very dangerous. So I think part of this problem is we cannot afford to, to expand our policing and deal with, with the amount of crime as cities get bigger and bigger and bigger. Because I'll put it this way. Let's say you've got 100 people in a small town. I talk about the scaling problem all the time. 1% of that population is criminal. That's a one guy. So you know who the one guy is, and you're like, keep your eyes on him. That dude's a criminal. We deal with it all the time. We know him. We've, we, we, you know, just, just pay attention to it. We've, we've kicked him out. He's been arrested. It is what it is. Now think about a town with a million people and you got 1% committing crime. You got a thousand people. You can't keep track of all that. You know, so, so now instead of hiring one sheriff who knows exactly who Jim is, you're going you're gonna to hire what, a thousand cops? It's going to get more and more expensive to scale up. You still can't cover all of the ground. And when the shoplifting happens, they say, what do you want us to do about it? The dude's gone. We're not going to find him. It's an insane amount of money to try and track down every single person who does this. There is an upper limit, in my opinion. The last thing, I'll I'll end by saying this. I do think this idea was, you know, it's a surface level solution. Hey, I know. Let's, (laughs) if we make this just a misdemeanor, then we'll free up police resources. Right. If, If you tell cops, don't police something you will be able to move the cops somewhere else. End of story. So that means knowing the police can't handle it, you're signaling to them saying, listen, we need police resources elsewhere. We can't handle the shoplifting. So they're like, all right. (laughs) You basically just told everybody by law, by proposition, you can't afford to deal with policing this stuff. And then you lowered the risk. Done. What do you think is going to happen? California, you're crazy. Long story short, the general idea I'm talking about is that it's not, you know, our, our communities can only get so big. And at a certain point, people just don't care about each other. There's an idea of a national community, but there's just so many different groups even within the country. And I'm, and I'm beginning to think things are in dire straits because you have people in America who really do hate America. And it used to be a talking point from conservatives where it's like the liberals, Democrats hate America. It's like today they're literally saying they hate America and they chant things like make California Mexico again. So, so yeah, we're really at that point. What do you think is going to happen? You think they're going to come to defend you? No, they're going to leave. If, 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 it, if push comes to shove, 
and a real disaster hits America, I assure you there's many people, many, many people who are going to be like, I'm going to move to New Zealand or Canada. And that means they don't care about you. They don't care about the community. I mean, all of the people who said they were going to move to Canada when Trump got elected, they stayed because of the wealth and the comfort, nothing else. But the idea that you would leave the country when it's in dire straits to me is shocking. It means you don't care. Whatever, you get the point. I'll leave it there. Stick around. Next segment's coming up at 4 p.m. YouTube.com slash TimCast. It is a different channel. I will see you then. So the Washington Nationals have won the World Series and subsequently got invited to the White House. But lo and behold, at least one player says, I just can't do it. I want to first start by saying there is nothing honorable or principled, in my opinion, of refusing to take a White House invitation when the media is pressuring people to do it. If you want to take a stand, stand up for what you believe in and fly in the face of the man, you go. You go to the White House and with that opportunity, you look the president in the eyes and say, here's what I have a problem with. And you talk it out. And maybe you, you having the president's ear might actually influence some change. That's principled. To know the media will smear you. They will lie about you. They will insult you. But you go anyway. Now, let's be real. Nobody in the Nationals are going to get smeared. They got invited. They're going to go. People are going to say whatever. As an individual, however, he's placing himself on the outside. And all I can really say is, he, I don't know, he wants to earn brownie points with leftists and the resistance. The way he said he, he went about this, I think, is respectable. And, um, and, I, and I'm not trying to be mean to him or disrespect him. He said something very calm and rational. He didn't freak out and say any of this stupid nonsense. He just said, I disagree with Trump on these issues, and so I just can't do it. Okay, fine. I think the smart move would be to actually go and talk to the president. But let's, 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 let's read what he has to say. They say Washington Nationals player says he won't visit Trump White House. I just can't do it. Sean Doolittle will not visit the White House with his teammates when President Trump hosts the club to celebrate their World Series victory. Doolittle, a relief pitcher who joined the Nationals in 2017, told the Washington Post on Friday that he will not attend a White House ceremony scheduled for Monday because of his opposition to Trump. There's a lot of things, policies that I disagree with. But at the end of the day, it has more to do with the divisive rhetoric and the enabling of conspiracy theories and widening the divide in this country, Doolittle said. My wife and I stand for inclusion and acceptance, and we've done work with refugees, people that come from, you know, the asshole countries, he added, referencing remarks Trump made in 2018 about immigrants coming from Haiti and other African nations. Doolittle went on to say that as much as I wanted to be there with my teammates and share that experience with my teammates, I just can't do it. Okay, I can respect that. He didn't, he didn't insult Trump and use these stupid buzzwords and far right. He did say conspiracy theories. And I, I take a little issue with that. But for the most part, I think he was calm and respectful in his refutation of, of, of the invitation. It would have been smarter, however, and more principled to go shake Trump's hand and tell him, you called these countries asshole countries. That's what they reported. Trump would deny it because here's the reality. That came from secondhand comments. I don't think it's ever been confirmed. It was uh, Dick Durbin, I think, said... Uh, that's what Trump said. So you are clearly getting one media narrative. Now, I'll admit some of your criticism. Yeah, OK, right? yeah, Trump said some things and he's and he's done some things. and You could absolutely disagree with him. And you did it in a calm way. That's respectful. But I don't what I don't understand is why when you get the opportunity to actually confront the man you're critical of and actually talk about these things, you reject that opportunity. You reject. It, it makes no sense to me. I got invited to the White House. I thought I was going to get to meet Trump and I was going to be able to push back and try and present a more balanced view of what was going on with social media. It wasn't the case. It was like a VIP Trump rally. And I gave it a little bit of criticism. It was fine. You know, Trump had his people. They came. They loved the guy. There were a couple people there who are not big Trump fans, myself included, but we're not crazy people. So when the president invites you to you know, an event, you go. 
And then you talk about the problems, whether you like the guy or not. And so, you know, being there, I felt like it was a wasted opportunity for the most part. However, I got smeared relentlessly. Just, just every insane, you know, The Hill, what I'm reading now, was the only outlet that was actually fair and asked me why I was going. And I said, I'm hoping to present a more balanced view and highlight that there are anti-establishment leftists who get censored as well for similar reasons. And there are anti-ideological leftists, like anti-identitarian, people like Megan Murphy, and highlight it's not just conservatives and to talk about the problem and how we can solve this. And The Hill published my comment. There you go. What did NBC and a bunch of other outlets do? Made up nonsense, call me a conspiracy theorist and a bunch of other fake news. Dude, you can criticize me for my commentary and bad opinions, but everything I use is sourced, is, is mainstream news, verified, third-party fact-checked, etc. End of story. They like taking the fact that you can talk about a story, and then when the story is retracted later, claim you pushed fake news. Like, dude, if I'm reading CNN, and then CNN retracts a story a week later, yeah, the video exists because I was reading a CNN story. That's literally what they tried and do. But that's principled. Taking the invitation, saying, hey, you, you, gotta, you get invited to the White House, you go. So I, I think this, in my opinion, is a virtue signal. I, I, I'm, I'm trying to be nice because I don't think he went about it in a really awful way. You know, he went about it and he's got his, he's, he's got his rights to his opinion. He doesn't want to go fine. But too often, we see too many people who are either virtue signaling or downright bending the knee to the outrage mob. So they say uh, just two days after the Nationals won the fran- uh, franchise's first ever World Series, the White House announced that Trump would host the club. And we get that. Doolittle told the Post that he struggled with the decision to skip the White House visit, noting that, noting that he didn't want his absence to become a distraction. But he said that his opposition to Trump's policies and rhetoric meant that he wouldn't be comfortable making the trip. That's it. I don't think we need to read the rest of this. They talk about some other White House stuff. But here's what I want to highlight. You should have gone, dude. I don't care if you got scruples, heebie-jeebies, whatever. You go and you talk about your opposition to these people. You tell them to their face. This is not necessarily in the same vein, but it it does follow the same through line of people bending the knee to woke outrage. I did talk about this a bit in the main channel, but I want to get a a little bit into this. Deadspin resignations threaten new owners turnaround. See, here's what happens. Deadspin, for those that have been following the news, was a woke sports site. So there is a bit of a connection here. And the new owner said, stick to sports. Apparently, the owners were saying, don't like, don't only talk about sports. They were saying, if you're going to write something, find a sports angle for it. Should be easy. You want to talk about politics or whatever? What's the sports angle? Well, apparently, the writers didn't want to do that. So somebody got fired. And then everybody basically resigns. Now there's nobody left at the company. They hire a freelancer based in Chicago. And immediately, the woke outrage mob comes for him, descending upon him. And he immediately quits. Like, boom, like that. I'm sorry, man. I feel bad for you because you don't seem like a, you know, a mean dude. That's pathetic. That's seriously pathetic. First of all, you're going to take a job. You should know what you're getting into. Second of all, don't let people pin you down. Okay? Why? So I think the first in the Nationals, I think he's virtue signaling. I think he wants to make sure everybody knows how, how, uh, um, how woke he is. Let's look at me, everybody. I'm not trying to be overly mean because the guy was respectful about it to an extent. That's fine. But what's the point of doing it? What's the point of coming out and saying this? He could have just not gone. Nobody would have said anything. There'd be no question. Oh, you didn't go? Eh, I didn't feel like it. I'm done. You don't want to go? Nah, not really. Why not? You know, didn't feel like it. No, he made a big statement about it. He said, Trump, you did this, you did this, you did this. It was, it was done in a way that I can respect because you're allowed to be critical of the president. I just think he, it's a wasted opportunity. And I think he's doing it to signal. This guy is bending the knee out of fear of the mob. Don't do that. Because let me tell you something. 
When cancel culture comes for you, the one way you survive it is by not caring. In the real world, those who care the least are going in negotiating in business. The person who cares the least wins. So let me, let, me, let me read this for you, and then we'll talk about caring very little. On Friday, a Chicago-based freelancer who wrote a post for the, for the site was heavily criticized as a scab, even though there was no strike, on social media, and apologized on Twitter, saying he wouldn't work there again. The site's editorial staff joined a union in 2015. Before Deadspin and the other sites were sold to Great Hill, their parent, uh, their parent Gizmodo Media Group was losing more than $10 million annually. People familiar with, familiar with the matter said, the deal valued the groups of sites at about $27.5 million. Other people familiar with the matter said. They go on to talk about losing money. They finally, finally started turning a profit. Then everybody gets mad because the dude says he wants them to write about sports. This guy comes along, take a job, and the woke outrage terrifies him, so he apologized. Nah, man. You know why um, I, 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 one of the reasons I'm successful is that, it, quite literally, I care very little. I know what I want. I know what I want to do. Don't get in my way. When it comes to business negotiations, I don't care enough. I, I had a negotiation once with this big media company, and I said to them, the amount of money you'll have to pay me to make me care is more than you want to pay. And they were like, yikes. And so what does that do? They push the upper limit of pay. Like, okay, well then what is that number? I was like, make it big. Because if you give me something small, I just don't care. I really don't. I have no problem sitting in, sitting in my backyard with some like wheat straw in my mouth, reading a little book and just ignoring everybody. And that means you can threaten me all you want. You can post silly photos all you want. You can smear me in the media. Guess what? Don't care. I don't care. I have no problem just chilling, chilling out, just going off the wilderness, farming on my own and minding my own business. And guess what that means? It means I have all the leverage. So if I'm going to write for somebody, ain't nobody going to tell me I can't do it. If I'm going to get invited to the White House, I'm going to go to the White House and I'm going to go there with the intent to express potential discontent or my, my existing discontent. So for these people who, who, who back down, I see no principle. I see no spine. Okay. It, it, there's nothing principled about bending the will to a pitchfork mob. I'll tell you what, man. When I was confronted by Antifa numerous times, I open my arms wide and say, I'm waiting. Okay, you got a problem? Do something about it. Otherwise, get out of my way and I'm going to keep doing my thing. And then, they, and then this one guy was like, come on, hit me, hit me. I'm like, that's not going to happen. You're an idiot. And he gets in my face and he smacks my hand and I carry on my business. I don't care about you. You're not going to stop me. You're going to have to force me out. This guy, I'm so sorry to the outrage. I'm so sorry this happened. So, you know, I know it's not necessarily all connected, but I just, I saw these stories. I wanted to do an addendum to the main channel video about this dead spin guy. Cause I'm, I'm trying to be mean to him, but come on, dude, grow up. Okay. So some people were mean to you on Twitter. Who cares? And to dead spin, what's wrong with you? you the, the company like guys don't publish the byline. What, you hire people who know they're going to do it and don't put a byline up. You know, every, like these, these woke leftists have salted the earth of Gizmodo to make sure the company is just gone forever. And it's so stupid. Everybody's so stupid. Everything's dumb. Stop caring so much about what other people think of you and do what you want. Talk about how you feel. I'll tell you what, man, you think you, all these, all these people who accuse everyone of being a grifter. I assure you that's not the case when the anti-Semites literally go on YouTube and say things they know will get them banned. Okay. And then they get banned. I'm sure they aren't grifting. Like they, 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 they don't exist anymore. They have bad opinions, right? Anyway, the point is, I don't care enough. There's, you got no leverage, man, because I just don't care enough, right? Seriously, sorry. Anyway, whatever. I got a couple more segments coming up in a few minutes. Stick around. I will see you shortly. All across Twitter, news breaking. 
smugglers are sawing through new sections of Trump's border wall, and they're doing it for a hundred bucks, buying a tool from Home Depot. (gasps) Oh no, Trump said you couldn't cut through it. Oh heavens, it's the worst thing in the world. People are so dumb. I'm so sick of everything. Everything is a gotcha. Everything is exaggerated. Everything is hyperbolic. Man, let's talk about the wall. Let me just cut to the chase and we'll read the story. The wall works. We're done. Have a nice day. I'm out. No, I'm kidding. But seriously, just because sometimes some people can saw through it, well, yeah. And what if there was no wall? They would just walk past. And even though it's 30 feet tall, they'll buy a ladder. We we get that. But the wall is still a deterrent. I'm not arguing for the morality of the wall. I'm just saying, if you've got a bunch of people walking through the desert trying to cross the border and there's a wall, they're going to stop and they're going to turn around and they're going to try and figure out a different way in smugglers, on the other hand, yeah, of course they're going to try and break through and they're going to get through. There's not, there's not a wall that you could build that they wouldn't be able to figure out a way through, under, over, or whatever. So it's dumb. The point of the wall isn't supposed to be perfect security because perfect security does not exist. You're going to build the wall, you're going to walk away. There's two layers to the wall, so it's, it's complicated. But yeah, they'll find a way through. I get it. And they'll have to go and fix it, and it'll be a game of cat and mouse. But what's the alternative? No wall? You want to argue morality? Sure. You want to argue cost? Fine, whatever. But arguing that, you know, oh no, Trump was wrong. The wall's being cut through. It's so dumb. It's just so dumb. It's not an argument. We knew it was going to happen. It happened before. It'll happen again. And it means literally nothing about whether or not the wall should or shouldn't exist. Let's read the story from the Washington Post. This should be interesting. Smuggling gangs in Mexico have reportedly, repeatedly, sawed through new sections of President Trump's border wall in recent months by using commercially available power tools, opening gaps large enough for people and drug loads to pass through, according to U.S. agents and officials with knowledge of the damage. The breaches have been made using powerless, a popular cordless household tool known as a reciprocating saw that retails at hardware stores for as little as $100. When fitted with specialized blades, the saws can slice through one of the barrier's uh, steel and concrete bollards in a matter of minutes. According to the agents, who spoke on the condition of anonymity because they were not authorized to speak publicly about the barrier-defeating techniques. Barrier-defeating techniques. Oh, heavens. Yeah, there's a lot of barrier-defeating techniques. The point is to increase the cost of smuggling. Make it more difficult. Just because some people are pushing through doesn't mean the numbers haven't gone down. After cutting through the base of a single bollard, smugglers can push the steel out of the way, allowing an adult to fit through the gap. Because the bollards are so tall and are attached only to a panel at the very top. Their length makes them easier to push aside once they have been cut and are left dangling, according to engineers consulted by the Washington Post. So what? You see how they're trying to frame this in a negative? Well, it's so tall, it made it easier for them. They'd find a way, dude. We know that. That's not the argument. Ah, So I'm just, I'm so, you can tell I'm getting tired of how everything is stretched to the most extreme degree to the most unreasonable metric possible to make the orange man bad. Look, talk about cost. Well, you can argue the cost, fine. Talk about morality. That's a stupid argument in my opinion. But you want to argue that some people have figured a way to cut through the barriers. So what? It has nothing to do with anything. The, te- the, you know, the other thing they did was they were like, Trump's not even building new wall. And even some conservatives are saying this. He's just replacing old wall. Uh, yeah. Did you look at the old walls? They were like, she- it was like corrugated steel falling apart. And he put triple layered barriers in front of these areas because those are the hot spots they need to protect. It's like, it's like nobody thinks, you know, they say, oh, here we go. The taxpayer funded barrier. Look at how they're framing this. It's clearly a, sm- a slam against Trump. 
The taxpayer-funded barrier so far coming with a $10 billion price tag was a central theme of Trump's 2016 campaign, and he has made the project a physical symbol of his presidency, touting its construction progress in speeches, ads, and tweets. Trump has increasingly boasted to crowds in recent weeks about the superlative properties of the barrier, calling it virtually impenetrable. Right. Trump's exaggerating. He's being hyperbolic. I think we can point out that Trump is hyperbolic like every politician. But you see what the Washington Post is doing here? So some people somewhere have been able to breach the barrier using commercially available tools. Okay. What's the percentage of, in, of, of crossings that have decreased due to the wall? Has the wall worked? Are we going to be real? Or are we going to talk about the, the, the exceptions, not the rules? Every, there, there's no such thing as perfect security, no matter what you do anywhere. A bulletproof vest only covers your chest, your arms, and your, and your lower abdomen. You can still get injured. You can still die. So then what? Are we going to say the taxpayer-funded bulletproof vests worn by police come with a you know, $100 million price tag in the city? It was a central thing. What are you talking about? We know they're not perfect, but you get them anyway. You, 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 like, you know, the way I, you know, whenever I do those promos for Virtual Shield, they're getting a free shout-out on this one. I always say, my thing is like, listen, man, we know that if someone wants to break into your house, they're going to do it. But we still lock our doors and windows anyway. You know, we don't think someone's going to break in, but we, 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 we latch the lock. We, we turn it. If somebody really wants to get in, they're going to do it. Could you imagine if they were like, the, you know, um, Donald Trump put locks on the hotel room doors that cost all of this money and somebody figured out how to break in. It's like, yeah, but you still have locks on your doors. Could you imagine if your dad was like, or your, your, imagine you your mom and your dad and your mom's like, I think we should put locks on the front doors. And the dad goes, why? Someone will just break in anyway. It's like, <laughs> wait, but don't you want to make it harder for the person to break in? And then like a month later, someone kicks the door and the mom goes, see, it was a waste of money. We shouldn't have locked the doors. It's like, that's, a, that's nuts, dude. You lock the doors, even though you know someone can kick it in. They're doing this because they're trying to, they're, they're going after Trump's campaign promise. They're trying to sow doubt. But I tell you what, the only thing that's going to happen is, and why this stuff frustrates me to no end, is that the anti-Trump people are going to go, and wave their arms in the air and be like, this proves it. Oh, Trump supporters are so dumb. And Trump supporters are going to be like, this is so dumb. It's, it's, it's fake news, blah, blah, blah. Dude, let's be real. The wall's not perfect. Trump likes to talk about his big, beautiful 30-foot concrete wall from sea to shining sea, and he ended up with a border wall system with bollard fencing. He said Mexico was going to pay for it. They didn't. Trump didn't get everything he wanted, but he's putting up some kind of barrier, and Democrats in the past wanted it too. So I think you'll, you'll find some diehard Trump supporters saying fake news, and I think you'll find many regular people, including Trump supporters, being like, yeah, yup, sometimes people break in, but you still, you know, you still get set, set up security, right? The smuggling crews have been using other techniques, such as building makeshift ladders to scale and over uh, scale and overtop the barriers, especially in the popular smuggling areas in and around San Diego, according to nearly a dozen U.S. agents and current and former administration officials. Mexican criminal organizations, which generate billions of dollars in smuggling profits, have enormous incentive to adapt their operation at the border to new obstacles and enforcement methods, officials say. But not all of them. Many illegal immigrants, many smugglers who drive will stop and say, we can't drive. You know why? It's not just one wall. It's two. There's, there's a fence, then there's a patrol area, and then a fence. So yes, some people will get through, and it will still stop most. There was, I can't remember which country it was. I did a, I did a video about this years ago. In Europe, I think it might have been like um, Croatia, maybe something. Uh, I'm not sure where. But they built a huge fence, and the amount of illegal border crossings dropped by like 95%. And guess what? People, and it was, it was, it was, a, it was a three meter high, nine, it was a nine foot tall chain link fence. That's it. 
You could take some bolt guns and snip, snip, snip and walk right through. And guess what? People weren't doing it. Why? They were coming in with families who couldn't climb the fence. You could just climb right over. It's not that high. But it worked. That cut down illegal immigration because people started saying, you know, my family, my kids, we can't go that way. It's not worth it. There's a barrier. We'll go a different way. And it, they cut it down. So, you know, I'd be, I'd, be, I'd be more interested in the numbers after the walls go up. We'll see what the, the numbers are for apprehensions and illegal border crossings. And then we can argue effectiveness. They say the U.S. government has not disclosed the cutting incidents and breaches. And it is unclear how many times they have occurred. U.S. Customs and Border Protection declined to provide information about the number of breaches, the location of the incidents, and the processes for repairing them. Matt Lees, a spokesman for the agency, declined to comment, and CBP has not yet fulfilled a freedom of information request seeking data about the breaches and repairs. The U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, which oversees the private contractors building the barrier, referred inquiries to CBP. One senior administration official, who was not authorized to discuss the breaches but spoke on the condition of anonymity, said they amounted to a few instances and that the new barrier fencing had significantly increased security and deterrence along sections of the border in CBP San Diego. It's just a reason to hate Trump. That's all it is. Is there any substance to the story? I think it's interesting that we're learning that they're doing it, but I think it was obvious to everybody, even most Trump supporters, it was going to happen. But what, what I'm seeing now, and the reason I pulled this up is because Twitter has become just like this. So, it's so dumb. The, the shock content, the rage, the Trump's failed border wall that people are spending only $100 and they're walking right through. And it's like, come on, man. I'm just so tired of it. You know, you, uh, there, there, it, it's, it's absurd to me that we spent so many decades in this country talking about a border barrier with Mexico. And then all of a sudden, Trump comes in and goes, I'm going to do it. I'm going to make it a big, beautiful wall. And then all of a sudden, Democrats are like, harumph, I say, no, don't do it. And I'm confused. I'm like, wait, wait, hold on. Wait, why don't you want the wall? Because you guys wanted the wall before. And then Beto, Beto actually said, tear down this wall. And I'm just like, okay, you're not speaking English. You want to talk about the wall's effectiveness? Show me the data. You want to talk about being it worth the cost? Show me the data. But so far, there's never been a real argument for it. It's always just been these stretches and hyperbolic nonsense. And it's like, you know what, man? We've gone nowhere with it. You just don't like Trump, okay? You know, I can understand why you don't like him, but you're not convincing me of anything. And I'm I'm sure there's a lot of Americans who are not convinced at all either. They're going to be like, yeah, and, okay. I got one more segment coming up for you in a couple minutes. Stick around. I'll see you shortly. Thousands of migrants sent back to Mexico under Trump policy have given up their asylum claims. Interesting. Now, a lot of people are saying this proves they weren't really asylum seekers. That's not true. It just means it's become too difficult. It is true that probably many of them were not, and we know they're not, because there was a story that was published by Vox. as my favorite quote, they asked one of the migrant caravan individuals why they were coming to the U.S., and they said, I miss Buffalo Wild Wings. I kid you not. I'm sorry. Missing Buffalo Wild Wings is not grounds for asylum. But there's a really interesting story here. And I want to I I go back to this conversation I had with Sam Cedar about a week ago. So first, let's actually read this and see what's going on. But then I want to talk about, you know, I had an interesting conversation with Sam Cedar about asylum seekers. And he, he said they should all be allowed. And I said, but these, some of these people are coming from Africa. They're not really seeking asylum. And he goes, they should all be allowed. They, they, if, they're, if, they're, if, they, if, they're, if they qualify for asylum, they should be allowed. And I thought about it and I said, I think we need to break that down and figure out what's, what's the cause, like the real problems here and why I completely disagree with Sam on this one. But let's read the story first from Fox News. They say thousands of migrants returned to Mexico under the Trump administration's remain in Mexico policy have given up their asylum claims, with many of them returning home 
according to statistics included in a new assessment of the policy released this week by the Department of Homeland Security. My understanding is that around 90% of asylum seekers don't get approved anyway. Here's the thing. When they were let in the country before, they would disappear. And, and, that, and so now that they're being put back, brought back to Mexico, they go back. The policy, known formally as the Migrant Protection Protocols, sends migrants seeking asylum at the southern border back to Mexico for the duration of immigration proceedings. It is a cornerstone of the administration's efforts to end catch and release, by which migrants are released into the U.S. while their cases are heard. Hearings have been held in border towns such as Laredo, Texas, where temporary courtrooms have been set up by the border and, mi- uh, by the border and migrants are put in front of a judge via video conference. So far, the administration has returned more than 55,000 migrants to Mexico. The assessment describes the policy as an indispensable tool in addressing the ongoing crisis at the southern border and restoring in- integrity to the immigration system. It says that it's completed almost 13,000 cases as of October 21st. The new assessment significantly, uh, the new assessment significantly cites estimates from Customs and Border Protection, CBP, that approximately 20,000 migrants are currently being sheltered in Mexico near the U.S. border as they seek entry to the U.S. Uh, as they seek entry to the U.S., the assessment says that number, though, suggests a significant portion of the 55,000 migrant protection protocol returnees have chosen to abandon their claims. Now, before we get more, there's, there's not a whole lot here, but there's a lot of points I do want to bring up. For one, it's more bombastic, but there was a big fear. The FBI talked about how Antifa may be trying to arm any of the migrants, and they were uh, planning to storm through the border. Well, an armed storming of the border didn't happen. But we did see a couple instances where many of these migrants did rush the border. At one uh, bridge, they started throwing rocks at the police, and the police you know, were holding shields, and they were trying to break through. There was one woman in San Diego where you had that iconic photograph of the woman pulling her kids. So there have been attempts by many of these people in the migrant caravans to break into the U.S. in defiance of U.S. law. I'm sorry. I think it's fair to say that these people who are not Mexicans, they're Guatemalan, Hondurans, they're not refugees on the basis of, if you're, if you're fleeing violence and you're a thousand miles away in a foreign country and you don't stay there, then I question what you're really doing. And the, the main point that needs to be brought up as we get into this, why they're all leaving, is that at one point, a migrant caravan was offered refugee status, asylum, in Mexico. They were told they would be given jobs and shelter and food. And on video, they yell, no, we're going to America. And they carried on. If the concern was they needed to be safe, and you've been offered a better life in a different country, why turn that down? And so that's kind of the point I wanted to make about what um, Sam Cedar was saying. When I, I did the debate with him, actually, no, 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 let's, let's, let's read this, and then I'll talk about the Sam Cedar stuff. They say the report shows the network, uh, the report notes that the work of the International Organization of Migration, supported in part by the U.S. government, is helping migrants return home for free if they choose to do so. It says that as of October, almost 900 migrants have participated in that program. The stats put out, uh, the stats put some meat on the bones of what officials have been saying for months, specifically that many of those in the MPP, particularly those who do not have a legitimate asylum claim, realize that they will not be released into the interior and then just return home. Those returning migrants may then dissuade others from making the journey, reducing one of the pull factors, bringing them here, bringing, bringing people north illegally. See, what happens is they cross the border, they say asylum, they get processed, released, and then they just leave. And now they're in the country. That's not the overwhelming majority of illegal immigrants in this, in this country, though. It's just a lot. And the president and, you know, the government was trying to do something about it. Now that they're, ha- being, they're being told to wait in Mexico, 
they're just leaving. There it is. Quote, we are now sending the message that if you're coming here as an economic migrant, you're not going to be allowed in the U.S. Acting CBP Commissioner Mark Morgan, who has called MPP a game changer, told reporters last month, this month, that's driving a lot of people to return. The MPP policy has been one of the most effective parts of the administration's crackdown on asylum seekers and illegal immigration, but also one of the most controversial. Critics claim the migrants are being sent into camps with squalid conditions and are also at risk of violence from cartels versus what being released into the desert in the U.S. wandering around. And they're not from Mexico. They're from Guatemala, Honduras, and even the Congo and and, and Angola. They're not. They're traveling thousands of miles. Okay, you want to talk about violence from cartels? That's a Mexico issue, and they're not fleeing Mexico. Quote, not only does this policy do nothing to protect either migrants or U.S. interests, but we have grave concerns about its legality, recent efforts to expand it, and the dangerous conditions it forces asylum seekers to endure while waiting for their cases to be heard. Sent a letter from two dozen Senate Democrats in August. Listen, man, no one is entitled to American wealth and prosperity. You're not entitled to this. If you're born here, yes. And there are, there are arguments about that. But let me, let, let's, let's do this. We get the point. They say, uh, in terms of the interests of American citizens, the administration has claimed it has been key in the sharp decline of migrant apprehensions at the border, which have fallen by more than 60% since the highs in May. Well, I'm going to say maybe the wall has played a role in that. But let me, let me talk about the, the thing Sam Cedar and I were discussing. He told me they should all be allowed to be processed and we'll figure it out. Let them all come. Yeah, that makes sense. If you don't, if, if you're ignoring the fact that many of them don't seek to finish out their asylum process. Now, there's arguments on the left. Most of them do. But this comes from an advocacy group. An advocacy group says, you know, 90 percent of everyone we work with comes back to finish the process. And it's like, yes, of everyone you work with. And there are people who don't want to work with anybody who get here, claim asylum, get released and never show up. I don't know what the numbers are, but it happens. One of the biggest issues is that we saw several stories about people from the Congo or from the Democratic Republic of Congo, whatever, traveling to Angola, flying to Brazil, and then walking their way up through all these countries of the Mexico to the U.S. and then claiming asylum. How could you have spent all of that money, thousands and thousands of dollars for your family, and then act like you're an asylum seeker when you could have stayed in Brazil and you're on the other side of the planet? You're on the Western Hemisphere now, and Brazil's nice. They would leave Brazil, travel all the way through these dangerous countries to make it to the U.S.? I'm sorry, I just do not believe we should have to pay because they did that. And that's the big issue. So we can argue everybody who wants to apply for asylum can. Okay, why don't they apply for asylum at any one of the American consulate offices in these countries they're traveling through instead of just coming to the border and then screaming, let us in. So what ends up happening is, you know, even if you want to agree that they should apply and if they get approved, they can come. We're spending money when people who clearly do not qualify come and we have to advocate, we have to uh, use manpower. We have to let, let them, you know, they come in the country, we provide them with resources, we shelter them, we do all the paperwork. But if we know, for the most part, they won't apply, qualify because of all of the things they did to get there, why are we spending money on that? It seems horribly inefficient. There are certain circumstances. Or actually, there was another rule they presented where they said, basically, if you pass through a third party country, you won't qualify. Okay. So let's say you're in the Congo. Why not just fly to the U.S. Once you land, walk to immigration, declare asylum or or refugee status. Why do they try and do it this way? In my opinion, they're trying to enter the country illegally. They come to the southern border and they're hoping they can just walk in and that's it. But now there's more security. 
Trump is cracking down. People have tried claiming it's Trump's fault that by announcing he was going to crack down on border crossings, everyone ran full speed to try and get in. And I disagree. I think what happened was the Democrats said they would defend you, they would protect you, and they would give you sanctuary in California, the whole state. And so then people were like, okay, let's do it. Then California voted to give undocumented immigrants health care for the under, under the age of 26. You're giving all of these incentives and creating all of these poll factors as they describe it. It's a waste of money. It is not a real argument. If you want to claim to, you want to help these people, I agree. This is not what you're doing. You're arguing something completely, completely different. So after I had the conversation with Sam, I said, I agree. We should allow people to apply. But then the question is, what about the people who clearly don't qualify and we are spending money on that process? And it takes away time and energy from our ability to actually help those who are refugees who do need help. And therein lies the big problem. The fact that we're seeing all these people head home just shows most of them probably not really asylum seekers, probably not really trying to get refugee status or they, they do want refugee status, but they're coming here because we're a wealthy nation. And I'll leave you with that one quote from Vox. I miss Buffalo Wild Wings. Dude, I get it. I love me some B-dubs. But that is not what asylum is for. And I am not going to pay because you want to go to B-dubs. All right? Now, they'll argue, but the, but the, 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 the migrants, they pay income tax. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about processing. I'm talking about transportation, shelter, food, resources to make sure you survive. Because you want to come here. Guess what? They got B-dubs in Mexico. I'm done. I'll see you guys tomorrow on, on this channel at 10, a, uh, 10 a.m. Thanks for hanging out.